And thank you all so much for worshiping with us this morning. And I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, I'd love for you to open up with me to John chapter 12 this morning. We're going to begin our reading together at John 12, verse number 12, and read through verse number 19 uh, before we get into our message today. A familiar passage of Scripture that some of the girls just read uh, from Matthew's account, uh, but I want to read from John's Gospel today. And John writes, the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that we are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And certainly it looked like it because they sang Hosanna, a song the Jews had been reserving for generations. They proclaimed that Jesus was their long-awaited king. But the question would be, would Jesus take them up on this offer? So let me ask you that question. If there was a path for you to be king or queen, would you take it? Of course you would. We all would. We'd be crazy not to, right? And by king or queen, I mean, I don't necessarily mean that you're going to rule on some throne in a, in a literal palace somewhere uh, high and above everybody else. I, I mean, if there was a pathway for you uh, to, to uh, entry, enter into a reality, enter into a scenario where you could have your ways, your rules, your glory all the time, It'd be hard to resist taking that, right? Uh, especially if everyone was pretty much advocating for you and supporting you to seize what was yours for the taking. I mean, think about all the luxuries. Think about all the splendor. Think about be, what being large in charge would afford you. Uh, unlimited power and resources. Unlimited wealth and leverage. Minimal weaknesses, shortcomings, and, and limitations. And, and I know there's part of us, or there's, there's, there's part, something in us that maybe wants to, you know, not come across as power hungry, and we don't want to, you know, come across as, you know, kind of being, uh, you know, rubbing our grubby hands together. But, but come on, we don't have to be sanctimonious and, and pretend. If we're just being honest, if we were given the opportunity to take control, we would take that up, that offer up in a minute. And again, there's no reason to, to kind of be, you know, faux humble about it. And I know some people would say to us, if we said we would, they would say they wouldn't. But everybody, if we're just being honest, everybody would take this opportunity up in a minute, no matter what they may act like. Uh, you know, if we were the first ones to raise our hands and say, I'll take it. Um, because there is in all of us, a hunger and a craving for control. Uh, 
There is in all of us a desire to be autonomous, which means to be the only to be the only person that we answer to. As in, we don't bow to anybody, we don't answer to anybody, and we don't take orders from anyone. We do what we want to do, the way we want to do it, with, with whomever and however, wherever, whenever we want to do it. There is in all of us this desire, there's this human nature, this craving in every one of us that says, I wish I could have my way and my rules and my glory all the time. And we get aggravated when we don't get it our way all the time. At the core of our nature, though we are all informed in our consciences and we, we may fight against it, all of us want to answer to as few people as possible. We want to live as close to the boundaries of life as possible. And that's what kings do. That's what queens do. They're, that's what absolute rulers do. They absorb as much power as possible and they leverage whatever advantage to the farthest extent they can. Now, the way we've been brought up determines uh, you know, what this all sounds like in our ears. The, the circumstances that we've experienced from our upbringing uh, determines how this sounds to us. Some of us, we've lived a pretty charmed life and we've enjoyed so much support and things have always tilted in our direction um, that in a lot of ways we have been king or queen of our little situation. We have been sort of in charge of whatever little bit of earth we've been given. Some of us though, we've had to scrape and claw for whatever bit of attention we've ever gotten. Some of us, we've had to, to really work hard to get any modicum of, of material success and, and this talk of being king or queen sounds comical because you know the only time we've been in the king's court is when we've had to bow to someone else that's in charge and maybe for most of us we're somewhere in the middle we've had some successful moments we've had we've, we've got some situations where we have the power but we've got a lot of situations where we have to pay homage to those that clearly have more than us you know in some areas and on some days we pretty much call the shots for our lives but in other areas uh, we bow at someone else's feet by choice or by obligation. Uh, most of us, we don't even have to daydream uh, about being autonomous and sovereign over our little piece of earth because we're too busy and preoccupied and stressed uh, about things that we don't control and things that in the people that we have to answer to. And, and, and we're so unnerved by, by all of that. And, and I might add, the reason we get so flustered in life, the reason we get so aggravated at life and, and at the people in our lives is because deep down in all of us is something that just wishes we could be the king. We all just wish we could be in control, that we wouldn't have to answer to anyone, that we could just call our shots and make our own rules. And some might say this, this is the dream. If you work hard enough, maybe you can craft together your ver a version of life that looks like this as close as possible. But regardless of what might happen or what could happen for any of us, deep down, all of us would seize the opportunity in a second if with just the wave of a wand, we could become king, we could suddenly garner and secure whatever power and privilege and luxuries we could ever want. So I just want to indulge you a minute. Just imagine if, if not only was this opportunity in front of you, but imagine if all of a sudden everyone leaned in your direction and facilitated this process. Imagine if all the world, all of a sudden the world started revolving around you and everybody was basically making it possible for you to step up and step out and step onto the throne you've always wanted. Imagine, there's no resistance. There's no challenge or competition. There's no frustration, there's no friction. And the life that you want that is easy and comfortable and as accountable as possible. Imagine, 
You could have it in the blink of an eye. And imagine the people that would listen to you. Imagine the scenarios that would revolve around you. Imagine all the problems that would just fade away. Imagine how much easier it would be at home. Imagine how much easier it would be at work. Imagine how much easier it would be for you economically and relationally and all the things that frustrate you and all the things that seem to lean again away from you and all the scenarios that seem to frustrate the way you wish life could be. Imagine if just for a moment you could have access to, have an opportunity to walk through that door and up those stairs and onto that throne. Who among us would not choose this life? Who among us would actually pretend like we wouldn't take it in a heartbeat? And, and, and just thinking out loud, there's really no negative implications that we can think of coming out of that reality, right? Well, I hate, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I can think of a few. And, and, and I'll, I'll think for you for a minute. And I hate to burst your bubble and put the e-brake on so quickly as we just imagined. But, but there is some things that we probably need to be aware of if this reality took place. Um, if all of a sudden we could wake up to absolute power, privilege, and luxury, just logic says that we're going to start bumping into each other a lot more than we bump into each other already, right? Because if everybody's first, it's going to be a, a, a little bit of a competition for the top of the podium, Right? If I get my way and, and you get your way, then that means somebody's going to end up not getting their way if all of us think that we're the ones that should get their way. So it really doesn't pan out for this to be reality for everybody, which is why there's only a few kings and there's a lot of other people beneath them, right? No matter how illogical uh, uh, the idea of being king or queen is, it doesn't stop us from daydreaming about this, though, does it? And hey, we don't want to be the king of the world. We just want to be the king of our homes. We don't want to be the king of the world or the queen of the world. We just want to have control where it matters to us, right? I mean, hey, I don't, I don't have to rule the world, but I would like to rule my little piece of the world. It'd be so much easier if they just listened. It'd be so much easier if they just didn't say something every time that I said something that, and, and to contrary me or to challenge me or to contradict me. It'd be so much easier if it, my word was as good as a king or a queen's. There's this never ceasing, there's this in incessant desire in all of us to be king that causes us to bump into each other. And the reason why you always bump into the people that you're closest to is because everybody that's in the same proximity, you, your, your wife, your husband, your, your children even, your, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your coworkers, the people that you live near, every one of you wants to be king and every one of you wants to be queen. The reason why we always bump into each other is because we're always trying to exert our dominion and try to increase our dominion. And when we do that, we, we, we rub up against each other. That subconscious want for absolute power is why we lock horns. And usually the people that suffer the most and, uh, from this dream and desire are the people that are closest to us. And, and here's something else. And, and again, I, I hate to pry into us, but I'm just telling you about my heart. And if my heart's the worst in the room, then hey, I'm in the, I don't know if I'm in the right place, but hey, I'm in the right place to get right. But, but I, I think this is true of all of us. You see, there is this, there's this thing. We keep an internal record of the concessions we make. See, I want to be king. And you want to be king. And I want, you want to be queen and somebody else wants to be queen. And we all feel like we are entitled to be in control. And when we have to back off the gas, we remember it, don't we? And we like to remind people, oh, do you, do you know the concession I made for you? Oh, I didn't make a big deal about it in the moment, but I, I, I kept a record of it, right? 
That you do this at home, you do this with your spouse, you do this with your kids, you do this with your family, you do this with your coworkers, right? In the moment, you act like, hey, I don't mind to do it, but there's something in you that says, I had to lift. I, I had to give an inch. I had to make it easy on them when I didn't have to, but I did. And, and we act as if, hey, well, we're royalty, but we did some things beyond our obligation. And here's the thing. That memory bank you keep, that, and I know you do, that memory bank you keep, that's what makes you grow weary, because there are days and weeks and months and seasons where your willingness to concede is tested. Where your desire for control is more frustrated. And that's when you encounter conflict. That's when things fall apart that you thought would never fall apart. That's when we don't go the extra mile and we don't give the extra inch and we start taking more than we give. You, you see, if we aren't aware of this desire for control, this dream to be king or queen, then we will be even less aware of the unbecoming characteristics and the unbecoming behaviors that come out of our heart when we are pushing against a boulder that just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's why I wanted to bring us to this place today, because all of us, every day, are at a crossroads, whether we realize it or not. Every single one of us are at a crossroads every single day. A crossroads where we're faced with a decision to make. A crossroad that exists in our homes, in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our churches, in, our, in, our place, in every place that we go between us and the person in the mirror. Every day in those various places and within our many relationships and between us and the way we process the world and, and filter out all the things going on around us, we are at this same crossroads. And at that crossroads, we have to face and answer a question. Do we feed our desire for control and seize whatever power we can grasp? And I can't get all the power, but I can get a little bit of it and I better take what I can while I can. Do you seize the power and you take advantage and, and get as much pleasure and, and most power and as much luxury as you can for yourself? Or do you choose a different path, an alternative path that goes against everything your flesh wants, but it just might save you and it just might bring you to a greater place in the power and the prosperity and the pleasure that you're dreaming of? I think more than any moment in history, more than any other story in the Bible, Palm Sunday represents the crossroads that we face every single day. Palm Sunday embodies the struggle that we face. Palm Sunday was that very crossroads for Jesus. And that's why it embodies the struggle that all of us face. The difference between Jesus and us, though, is Jesus wasn't battling an uphill climb. He wasn't competing with people of his day and age for power and with, for dominance because he was God in a body. He, he didn't, you know, the things that we dream of, the things we desire, we, you know, Jesus had in front of him, had access to, and had, had the opportunity to take without any frustrations or any challenges. He could have unlimited power and privilege, everything nice. It wasn't a pipe dream for Jesus. It was a possibility. It wasn't something he dreamt of yet was unlikely to ever happen or experience. It was something well within his grasp, something that not only could he obtain, but something he deserved to take. Something that he alone was worthy of. So in terms of obtainable, it was possible for Jesus. He was deserving. He was worthy of it. Y'all know the story of Jesus. Uh, he came on the scene and it was immediately clear that he was from God. He had an anointing from God that no one else had. How else could he do the things that he did? 
He healed the sick. He multiplied food. He walked on water. Demons cowered at him. Waves calmed before him. And the masses bowed to him. It was clear through many signs and wonders that he was the Messiah the Old Testament prophesied about. From Genesis to Numbers, Deuteronomy, Samuel, and Isaiah. He was the king that Israel had been waiting on. The throne that had been vacated for thousands of years. It was his to sit on. And he would rule like never, never before, like none other. After, a mir- after he would perform a miracle and with the confrontations between those who clung to power, his light would shine brighter and their influence would dwindle more and more. The crowds followed Jesus, were, were willing to do whatever he said. and Their, their, their favor for him and, and their dedication to him was only growing with every miracle that he performed. Surely he would signal to them one day soon that he was ready to take his throne, that he was ready to banish Rome from their land. He was ready to remove the corrupt priests and politicians from Judea. John, the writer of one of the Gospels, gives us a key detail about how many people followed Jesus. And on one occasion, John tells us this specific bit of information, and it wasn't insignificant. John 6 says that there was much grass in the place where they were resting, and the men that sat down were about 5,000 in number. And the reason John tells us that 5,000 number is because a Roman legion in that day and age, a Roman legion, a Roman garrison of troops was about 5,000 strong. So Jesus had in his ranks, he had in his following, enough people to go head to head with Rome if he chose to. And John wants us to know that Jesus didn't have some rabble group of men and rabble group of people that were just bumbling along. He had enough people that were willing to go to war for him. And that's exactly what they wanted to do on this occasion. Jesus perceived that they were going to take him by force and make him their king. As in, hey, they were going to go to war for him. They were going to go to battle for him. They were going to do whatever it took to install him as their king. Because there was that many of them. And they knew Jesus could handle the rest. They knew he was worthy of it. Why not fight for him? Jesus had a following willing to go to war for him, willing to shore up the support that he needed to ensure that he could take what was rightfully his. And of course, they were just giving him the red carpet to what he deserved to ascend to. But but Jesus kept playing hard to get. It seemed as if as, as much. But as time passed, it became obvious that maybe he was just waiting for the right moment for momentum to swing his way. And it was obvious that his ascension would be absolutely unstoppable. And so just prior to Passover 30 AD, he performed the miracle of all miracles that essentially sucked the wind out of all of his opponent's sails and made all of them tremble in their boots. He raised a dead man back to life, four days dead. After his funeral, he raised a dead man back to life. Lazarus walked out of his own grave at Jesus' command. He was already a superstar, but his numbers went up astronomical after this. People started making posters with Jesus' face on them, posting them all over town that Jesus is the king. If we want hope, if we want freedom, he is our guy. If the grave can't stop him, what can If Jesus was reversing the order of creation, if he was undoing death, then everything the prophets said about Messiah had to point to him. Everything they said about God's kingdom were about to come true. 
So everybody in Jerusalem was about, was getting ready for Passover, but they couldn't help but daydream about what else might happen that week. And the buzz in town wasn't Passover. It wasn't about the festival they celebrated every year. The buzz in town, if you read the Gospels, is do you think Jesus is going to show up? The, the question on everyone's mind wasn't, hey, Passover is going to be great or we can't wait to celebrate. The, the buzz in the air was, I wonder what Jesus is going to do this week because clearly he has set the stage for the perfect moment, for the right time to seize the power that we want to give him that he is obviously deserving of. The Jewish authorities were on edge. They had an emergency meeting about how they might mitigate the situation. But Jesus had already stolen their thunder. And they already saw Passover playing out worse than they could imagine. So they began taking, talking and wondering if there was something they could do to stop Jesus. Maybe even something to undo his ministry completely. And if they had to go to extreme measures, they would. Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples, his inner circle, they were even more giddy about, uh, about the whole thing than even the crowds. They had signed up for this moment. They were always looking forward to this moment. So they began secretly meeting with Jerusalem city planners and some of the big influencers in town about Jesus' impending arrival in town for the week-long celebration. And, and they knew that Jesus must be planning something himself because he said, hey, let's go to town a week early. You, you didn't go to Passover until the middle of the week, but Jesus wanted to get there early, and clearly they thought, hey, he's wanting to take advantage of the support. There are, there are, there are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in town. Jesus is going to seize the day. He is going to finally do what we've been waiting for him to do, what he deserves to do. So they throw together what we know as the triumphal entry, and Jesus, being Jesus, knew what they were doing, but he makes an odd request. As they were trying to secure his mode of entry, maybe a chariot, maybe a horse, uh, Jesus, being coy, uh, knew about the parade because he could read their minds. Um, he says, hey, y'all, you know, I think I want to take a different approach as we go into town. And they're thinking, okay, Jesus, we've got a big plan. They're, they're already setting up the parade. They've got the floats. They've got the, sing, the songs. They've got all the, the decorations. What, 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 what do you want us to do? And, and Jesus throws this at them. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So Matthew and John, being students of the Old Testament, they were even more convinced at this moment. Everybody else was confused. Why does he want a donkey? But they knew their Old Testament, and they knew that this even more confirmed that Jesus was the Messiah, because Zechariah the prophet spoke of a day when the Messiah would ride into town on a donkey, unsuspected, maybe to the authorities that were there, that Messiah would enter into Zion or to Jerusalem on a donkey, and they quoted the prophet to the people that were waiting that day. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, righteous, having salvation, humble, and mounted on a donkey. But they assured everybody, oh, the, the humility is just a, it's just a front. He's just, being, he's just trying to be humble about things. But, but don't worry, he is our king. He is going to save us from Rome and from the enemy of our nation. He is going to install a kingdom that the world has never seen the light of or so they thought 
So Jesus drives into town, recognized, lauded, celebrated this king of Israel that they had always waited. And apparently there was this platform ready at the end of the parade where Jesus would get up and give a speech, maybe a coronation speech even. And that's when things begin to go completely in an unexpected direction. Down in verse 27 of John chapter 12, Jesus takes the stage. Now, I don't know about you, but when when somebody starts a speech with, now my soul is troubled, that doesn't send a good vibe out to the crowd, does it? There's 10,000 people in the crowd that day, maybe 20,000 people in the crowd that day. There are hundreds of thousands of people that are on the periphery of, of of the parade that are waiting and listening to whatever Jesus has to say. Because if he is the king they've been waiting for, this speech could change history. So Jesus said, hey, y'all, my soul is troubled. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose have I come. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. So this is even more eerie, even more overwhelming because they hear from heaven a voice. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people that stood by heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken. So they were convinced that something supernatural was taking place in their midst. And Jesus answered and said, this is the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And then he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now they liked that because they thought he was going to enact the judgment on the world. The bad guys, Rome and all the people that were against them. Now is the ruler of this world going to be cast out. And they liked that because, okay, Jesus, yeah, this is what we want to hear from you. This is why we call you king because we know what kings do. Kings destroy the enemy. Kings judge the bad guys. Kings take care of their people. And then he says in verse 32, and it's almost like he stutters. It's almost like he has to get his words because he knows they're not going to understand this. And if I... If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now, now, they're thinking, okay, Jesus, I mean, hey, that's what we want to do. We want to lift you up. We want to exalt you on a throne above all thrones. Jesus, it's yours for the taking. We've saw what you can do. All you got to do is is snap your fingers. All you've got to do is take what we have set before you. And of course, you don't need our help. You can do it without us. But we've shown you our support. We'll go to war for you. We are here to do your bidding. 34, the people answered, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? So they were a little bit concerned with the language he was using. And it says in verse 33 that he was talking about his death. And I guess he made, him, made it, when they were thinking about the throne, he must have corrected them and said, No, 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 I'm not talking about a throne. I'm talking about a cross. And they knew what crosses were because they watched people get crucified every single day. Rome would lift people up from the earth and they would watch people bleed out week after week after week. They were planning to do some that week at the end. So all of a sudden the people are just very distraught because, hey, our king isn't going to die. Messiahs can't bleed. Kings don't. Kings that that, that we've been waiting for, this king isn't going to die. This king isn't going to lose. And Jesus goes on to talk about the light that is with them and the darkness that might be soon to encroach them. But, but here's the thing. The crowds kept asking question after question, and, and you could tell that Jesus was ready to check out. The disciples quickly realized that things weren't going to go as they planned for them. 
And John tells us that Jesus actually exits the stage and he disappears. It says later on that he hid himself from them. That they could not figure out where he went. And they were completely, completely dejected. It was the biggest letdown in all of human history. They thought this was the day that everything would change. But while, of course, they were a little upset for themselves, they were more bewildered by Jesus' actions. Because what kind of man, what kind of man could have all the power and privilege within his grasp? What sort of person gets handed the keys to the kingdom? The crown, the robe, the throne. And says, no thanks. I mean... All that he had had to say aside, it was obvious who Jesus was. And everyone was on board with giving him the support he needed. And come on, he didn't need their support. He could just take whatever he wanted. He could clearly and rightfully take what was his. And I mean, what would you do? What would any of us do? If someone rolled out the red carpet, paraded us into town, and said, here you go, take it. What would you do if there was one area of your life, or maybe many areas of your life, or every area of your life, where all of a sudden the stars aligned, and all the pieces came into play, and you could have everything, I mean everything, just like you wanted, and how you always have dreamed them to be. All that talk of what frustrates you and exacerbates you, all of a sudden, the things you think you deserve, and the, things, the feelings that, that you have when you get snubbed, if they could be taken away, what would you do if all of a sudden everything fell into place? Or all you had to do was knock a few doors down. What would you do if all of a sudden, with little to no resistance, you could have all the power and the glory that you think you deserve? What would you do if all of a sudden the sun shined down on you and you could take it, you could flex, and you could revel in the control you've always dreamed of and lord over everyone just how good it is to be the king? Come on. What if all of a sudden you could put puppet strings on everybody you wanted to put them on? And hey, we're, we're friends here and nobody else is listening. What if you could put them on the people that you love them and you wouldn't want them to know you want to do this to them, but you kind of do because you love them, you married them, you gave birth to them, you called them mom or dad, you work beside them, and you couldn't say this to them because it would hurt their feelings, but if you could just put a string in them, and you could just make them do what you wanted them to do, it'd make your life a lot easier, wouldn't it? And, and, and they don't understand. They don't understand that you're just smarter than them. They don't understand that you're just, you have a better view of the world than them. They don't understand that they just don't see the things the right way, but if you could just help them a little bit. Everything would be better. And you can't really talk like that because you sound like a bad guy. Maybe you are. But you kind of wish you could do that, don't you? Maybe not every time or all the time, but just some of the time. Just when you're talking about money or just when you're talking about how to fix things with this relay, just when you're talking about family, just when you're talking about making plans, just whenever you're trying to get your way. I mean, hey, I don't want to do it all the time, but I'd like to do it some of the time when it's convenient. What if you all of a sudden had no resistance to sit on the throne you wanted with the robe and the crown you deserve? What would you do if you could have it like you wanted all the time? You know what Jesus did? 
He said, no thanks. He said, no thanks. He stood at a crossroads where one way took him to a throne and the other way took him to a cross. After being off the grid for a few days, his disciples got wind that he rented a loft for them in the middle of town and that he wanted them to meet him there, him there on Passover evening or the evening before Passover. And they got word that he was going to meet them there and they wondered, what's all this about? So over in John 13, we read about this next move. They haven't been able to find Jesus. He's been off the grid. He's been popping up here and there, but he quickly leaves. So finally they get to pin Jesus down and they get to ask him, what's wrong with you? You had it right there. Everybody was, was cheering for you. You could be the king. Why wouldn't you? You are the king. We know who you are. We've watched you heal the lame. We've watched you walk on water. We saw you call Lazarus out of the grave. I mean, come on, Jesus. What is up? And John tells us before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the very end. Or, or literally, he began to show them the full measure of his love. Supper being ended, the devil having already put himself in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God. I mean, he knew who he was. He knew what was his. He knew the enemy that was against him was right there. And he knew how to take care of it with the click of it, with the, with the snap of his fingers. He had every right to seize the day, but more than a lust for power, more than a want for privilege, Jesus was driven by something greater, something that remains in his heart and at the heart of his movement. And that's when he makes his next move. He, he's aware of how much power he's got. He's aware of what he deserves. He's aware of how much easier things would be if he could just do things his way and people would listen to him all the time. Yet he gets up from supper. He takes off his robe. He takes a towel around his waist. And he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet with the towel around his waist. And listen, I know you've heard this sermon before, but this might be the most important sermon you ever hear from anybody wearing one of these in a place like this. Not because I'm saying it, but because this is Jesus' most defining moment. This is the ultimate end-all, be-all message of Christianity. This is his moment that he wants to teach you the lesson to end all lessons. This is his deflection of power, his deference of privilege, and it's why we are here today. You would not be here. We would not be here if he did what he had the right to do. He's every bit the king he was lauded to be on Palm Sunday. But he did not come to earth to be that king. He came to earth to be our savior. And by being our savior, he came to save us from, and rescue us from the lifelong struggle that we face. We all grow weary. We all get frustrated. We all get exhausted as we try to put a life together that we dream of. Making concessions along the way. Settling for as much as we can get. But in the back of our mind, we still wish and we still dream about getting our way. But Jesus says to you and I in this moment, there's a better way than getting your way. There's a better way than getting our way. And that's why he wraps the entire Christian message in this moment. Because he demonstrates what he's going to do on the cross. 
And while his work on the cross was a one-time, for-all people event, having touched and been impacted by his work, we can step into a life that he gives us and live as God desires us all to. Down in verse 12, after he washes their feet and they're completely confused, he says to them, so when he washed their feet taking his, and taking his garments back on, he sat down again and he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? And their answer was, No, we don't. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and, and, say, and you say it well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As in, I have laid off the crown and I have become the servant of all of you. You want to know why I didn't take you up on the offer? You want to know why I didn't take the throne that's rightfully mine? Because that is not where true fulfillment is found. And if you don't take it, if you don't listen to Jesus, the one who deserved it, who would you listen to on this? He says, I have set before you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You've heard about the golden rule. I came up with that one too, but here's something better than that. Here's a platinum rule or whatever you want to call it. You should do as Jesus has done. Jesus gives us the secret to true happiness, the true blessing, the true peace. It's true for your marriage. It's true for your workplace. It's true for every part of your life. Your best life is not found on a throne, wearing a robe, wearing a crown, getting to call your shots as you please and control every outcome and manipulate every scenario. As much as your flesh craves that, Jesus says, I have come to set you free from that kind of mindset and give you something much better. I know this makes no sense to most of us in our flesh, but Jesus says, your best life is not found wearing a king's robe, but a servant's towel. This is the Christian standard that all of us are held to. We measure our spirituality through, through so many things, but the Apostle Paul, who taught about spiritual gifts and all the things that make us spiritual and make us like God, he says to us in 1 Corinthians, that you should desire these higher gifts, but I now show you a more excellent way that this is the way that every Christian is called to go down. This is the, the gift of freedom that, that, that God wants to give all of us that frees us from a life that we think, we think the best life is found in independence, in autonomy, in authority, in power. We think that we have it all figured out, but every single day we are at a crossroads between what we think and what God says. Politics, entertainment, this world steers us in that direction to choose what we think is best for us. To chase after power, to chase after pleasure, to chase after what we can control. But take it from the carpenter who wouldn't be king, even though he could have, even though he should have. Years later, the Apostle Paul would take this defining moment of Jesus' ministry and turn it into one of the greatest messages in all of Scripture. I'd love for you to turn there with me as we close. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, building off what Jesus just showed us. I just want you to listen to this whole passage as we read it in full. Listen to these words, and I know some of it may sound outrageous, but in light of what Jesus just said no to, and in light of what Jesus just said yes to, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to you and I all these years later. Therefore, 
If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. He's basically saying, if you want to be full of the Spirit of God, if you want to be close to God, if you want to get the most out of this life, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having, in this, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Not at home, not at work, not anywhere in between. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And what is Paul's rationale? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him highly and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I just told you what his good pleasure is. When we trust in Jesus, we are trusting that our full and final payoff is not in this life, but in the life he promises us in heaven one day. Church, i got to be clear about this. If we're still clawing and scraping and fighting for power and control in every scenario of this earth, then we have not fully trusted in the promise that God has made us. If we can't lay our power down, if we can't choose life of servanthood over a life of control, if we can't choose selflessness over selfishness, we don't know Jesus like we can and should know Jesus. Paul says, if you want to be in step with God, full of his love and his joy and his peace, have the mind in you that was in Christ, who could have been king, but he chose a cross instead. And in doing so, he was trusting that God would give him more than this world could ever offer. So what would you do if you could be king, if you could be queen, and have it all go your way? What if the thing that frustrates you at home, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your country, what if that thing that you seethe and you gripe about and you fuss about and you lose your joy over and you lose your peace over, what if you could just snap your fingers and everybody would bow to you? Listen, maybe there's things that should change and maybe there's people that should change. But it could be for you You've been placed at this crossroads for a reason so that you might understand what Jesus decided to do on Palm Sunday. A decision that he made for you, for your good, so that you could make a decision to find life in him and that you could be freed from the empty pursuit that we often get entangled in. And come on, you know what the opposite of bumping into each other and competing with each other and living cutthroat with each other? You know what the opposite of that is? True Christianity. And Palm Sunday opens our eyes to what this true version looks like so that you and I can take on a better life, our lives being saved, pointing to others about the water that we've drank from.
Paul says, let none, nothing be done through conceit or selfish ambition. Let everything be done esteeming others higher than ourselves. Who is others? Every other person, right? Everybody. I got to ask you, is that same mindset in you today? Verse 5 is the verse I hope you can remember. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You know the mind that he had, don't you? Now you do. He could have been king, but he chose a cross. Church, this is the most necessary imperative for every Christian to hear. It is the mindset that we should all have, that should drive us. How irresistible would Christianity be if every single one of us embodied this walk? If every one of us had this mind, if it isn't our mindset, we should evaluate our relationship because Jesus shows us where true life is found. He shows us life is found in him and in his way. He deserved to be king. He bore a cross instead that we might be saved. We may desire to be kings. We may desire to be queens. But in Christ, we find a much more desirable way. Power and wealth and control and fame, all that glitters is not gold. What your heart needs the most is to be full of God's love. And what that will lead us to is a life of servanthood, a life of service. And what that will promise us is eternal gain. As Jesus was promised and as Jesus took a throne in heaven, so will we take so much a greater life when we get to heaven. But the only pathway to that place is the walk and path of Jesus. They sang Hosanna. That day, they thought Hosanna meant, Lord, save us from Rome, save us from Jerusalem, save us from the powers of wickedness. But Hosanna literally means, Lord, save us from sin, save us from our flesh, save us from this walk of life that is not good for us. So what would you do if you could be king or you could be queen? What would you do if you could all of a sudden put strings in the people that you needed to put strings in, that they would bow at your name and bow at your feet and they would do what you said to do and you would always have it your way, your time, your rules, your glory? Jesus had that option one time and thank God he did not take it. He took the cross and he says to you and he says to me, I have set before you an example. I've saved you from a life of otherwise misery I've saved you and given you the opportunity to take hold of something greater. That's what the, what the week of Easter promises us, that we might take hold of that greater life. Take it from the carpenter who wouldn't be king, who chose a cross for you and for me. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, none of us are worthy to call on your name because you, you deserved it. You deserved the glory. You deserved the throne. You deserved all that instead of the cross. Yet you chose the cross to save us, to free us from our sin, to free us from our flesh, to break us free from this life that says, I've got to do it my way and I've got to have it on my time. I've got to have it by my rules. You saved us from that. And you opened our lives up to a life of love, a life of service, a life of, of, of true Freedom, a life full of the joy and the peace of God so that we might tell the whole world the way and the place that true life is found. Lord, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that, Lord, they, they, get through, they get halfway through a day 
and they get fed up because things just aren't working out the way they want them to. Lord, Lord, would you reveal to them today that that might be a crossroads for them like it was for Jesus and that Jesus chose the cross instead of the crown. He chose the Calvary instead of royalty so that he might break us free from that dissatisfaction. He might break us free from that life and bondage. And because he has broken us free, because he has saved us, we can take hold of such a better life, such a greater way. Lord, I pray you might would release all of us and give us all this new life that Christ promises. Help us to see what Jesus did for us. Help us to accept it and to trust in him and help us to believe that our best is yet to come if we serve you the way you have called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. We pray as they prayed, Lord, save us. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.